Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Southern Spectre Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah, and as always, thanks for listening. First off, I hope all you enjoyed your Thanksgiving this year and that you were able to spend it with those you love, your friends, your family. Uh, me and the wife, we uh, we took our time, you know, our downtime. We had a little vacation there for the holidays, and we took our time to decorate our home. Um, we put up the Christmas tree. We hung some lights. It was great, and we enjoyed it immensely. I hope your house looks just as lovely as ours does. I hope it looks like Martha Stewart come in and threw up all over your mantelpiece. Okay, so enough of that. What we're going to do today, um, I've got some things coming out here. So what we're going to do, I'm going to run through some news and I'm going to go ahead and get into today's story, which uh, I actually didn't. I thought it was very interesting. I find this story today very interesting, and uh, I enjoyed doing the research on it, and I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. So um, look forward to, over the next few weeks, a few more episodes coming out, being released. Um, I know I've kind of been lagging behind. It is the holidays. I am a family man. Work, family. I have other things to attend to, so I do apologize, but... Hopefully, here at the beginning of the year, I'll be able to get back on track. But uh, I did do a, a few extra episodes for you guys, so look for those over the next uh, coming weeks. And I hope you enjoy them all. So, we're going to start off with some news. And this is just some things to help you get into the holiday spirit, if you haven't already. If you love something to keep you toasty through these colder days and something to keep you moving, Starbucks is giving away free coffee to first responders for the entire month of December. All first responders can get a free tall brewed coffee, hot or cold, all month long. Take advantage. It's Starbucks' way of thanking you guys for a job well done servicing your local neighborhoods and communities. Keep up the good work, guys. Speaking of giving things away for free, Wendy's, you know, the burger restaurant, if you like them, they're actually giving away their new breakfast baconator. I love the Baconator. Very good. Square patties. Yum. It is a revamped version of their Baconator burger. The hamburger has been swapped with sausage. They added some egg, applewood smoked bacon, American cheese, and Swiss cheese. To claim this freebie, you do have to have an account with the Wendy's mobile app and just order something through the app. That's it. There's no price minimum to spend, so grab some fries because you know you're going to do that. Because you know you want to, uh, grab your breakfast Baconator to go. Also, you can only grab one free sandwich per week. But you can get, I mean, what, four or five sandwiches over the course of the next month? I mean, enjoy it. Um, Actually, if I had told you about that last week, you could have got one last week. There you go. Also, International international Delight uh, Coffee Creamers has new Buddy the Elf inspired coffee creamers to put you in the holiday spirit. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? I love that movie. That is hilarious. John Favreau directing, Will Ferrell acting. Doesn't get any better. You can choose from flavors like caramel waffle cookie, frosted sugar cookie, and peppermint mocha. Liven up your coffee and your holidays with any of these fantastic coffee creamer flavors. 
Now, on with the show. Now it's time to pull up a chair, settle in, and cozy up for the Southern Spectre Podcast. Enjoy. Some of Tennessee's early inhabitants were known as mound builders and were divided into two different groups, the Woodland and the Mississippian. Sometime during the 17th century, these mound builders seemed to fade away and arose the Indians we know as the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Creek, and Choctaw, which were direct descendants of those mound builders. Thomas Kilgore was the first known white settler to make his way to Robertson County, Tennessee. He built his settlement on the banks of the Middle Fork of the Red River. Kilgore had made his way from North Carolina in the spring of 1778, strapped with nothing more than ammo, salt, and corn. He lived on his land for over a half a century and died at 108 years old. A number of families that had made their homes across this area over the years included guns, forts, gardeners, norfleets, gooches, and bells. Sometime during the early part of the 1800s, John Bell had uprooted his family from their North Carolina home, and they settled near the Red River, near the community of Red River, which would later become Adams, Tennessee. John Bell made a large purchase of land and a house for his family. During his time there, he bought up more land in the area and made way for a number of fields for planting and harvesting. The Bells extended their family after moving to the area with three more children. Elizabeth, better known as Betsy, was born in 1806, Richard in 1811, and Joel in 1813. One day, While out inspecting his cornfields, John Bell came across a very peculiar-looking creature just sitting in the middle of one of the corn rows. He described the creature as what appeared to be the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit. John shot at the creature several times, and the animal seemed to vanish. Later that night, after supper, the Bells began to hear strange sounds on the walls of their home. The sounds were like that of knocking or beating against the walls. Over time, the knocking would become more frequent and forceful. More than once, John and his sons had tried to run outside to apprehend the person responsible, but they could never find anyone. The children began to complain of what sounded like rats gnawing at their beds, and even their bed covers would be pulled off their bodies and their pillows thrown about the room by an unseen force. Soon the bells started hearing what sounded like faint whispers which were eerily quiet and sounded like an old woman singing hymns. Soon the unseen nuisance began to target Betsy. It pulled her hair and slapped her persistently leaving bruises and marks on her face and body. Before long John Bell reached out to his friend and neighbor James Johnston. Johnston and his wife wanted to help their friends, so they stayed the night with the Bells one night. During their stay, Johnston was repeatedly slapped 
and his bed sheets were steadily being stripped from the bed. Finally, Johnston leapt from the bed and yelled, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? After that, the night was peaceful. Over time, the unseen specter had learned to build up its voice where it would become so loud, and you knew in an instant what it was. It would sing hymns, quote scripture, even carry on conversation. Once the invisible evil quoted, word for word, two different sermons that were preached at the exact same time on the exact same day, nearly 13 miles apart. News of this evil and strange phenomenon traveled, and it finally reached the ears of Andrew Jackson, who was then Major General. John Bell's oldest sons, John Bell Jr., Drury Bell, and Jesse Bell, had fought under General Jackson in New Orleans. Jackson had decided to pay a visit to the Bell home and find out just what had been taking place. When he traveled, Jackson traveled with several men, horses, and a wagon. Along the way to the Bell estate, the wagon seemed to stop, dead in its tracks. The horses could not pull it for some strange reason. After many failed attempts of trying to coerce the horses forward, Jackson exclaimed, By the eternal boys, that must be the Bell Witch. With that, a disembodied female voice could be heard that they make their way forward and that she would see him later that night. After numerous hours of nothing happening, one of Jackson's men, who was a self-proclaimed, quote, witch tamer, explained that the reason the unseen spirit would not mess with them was due to the fact that in his pistol, which he carried on his person, was a silver bullet that would end any spirit it made contact with. Just then, the man began to scream and jerk his body all over the place. He said it felt like he was being stuck over and over with pins and that he was being beaten. The unseen entity kicked the man in his hindquarters and out the door he went. The spirit then spoke, telling everyone who could hear that there was another quote-unquote fraud in their midst, and that man would be called out and tortured the next night. Jackson's men began to beg to leave the home, but Jackson was persistent on staying so that he could witness who this so-called fraud was. No one is sure what exactly happened next, but the next morning, Andrew Jackson and his men were spotted in a nearby town early the next morning, headed toward Nashville. Then there are versions of this tale that say that Andrew Jackson and his men were indeed attacked that night by the unseen entity. Some say Betsy Bell screamed all throughout the night due to the witch's vicious attack on the young girl. Andrew Jackson experienced the covers on his bed being ripped quickly off of him. His men were slapped and their hair pulled until morning. Legend says that when Jackson and his crew decided to kick rocks out of town, that Jackson was quoted as saying, I'd rather fight the British in New Orleans than have to fight that bell witch. 
Over the years, young Betsy Bell had started to fall for a young man in the area known as Joshua Gardner. The two were in love and soon decided to marry. All were very happy for the young couple. Well, almost everyone. The unseen spirit had visited Betsy and told her not to marry Joshua for whatever unknown reason. Richard Powell, who was Joshua's former teacher in school, had at some point taken a liking to Betsy and had taken an interest in marrying her when she was older. Some say that Powell was a studier of the occult, although that has never been proven. Powell was married to a woman in Nashville while he spent time in Red River trying to woo the young Betsy. Eventually, Powell publicly expressed his disappointment with Betsy's engagement, but wished her all the best anyways. Betsy and Joshua couldn't go anywhere together without that evil spirit playing about. It taunted them repeatedly until finally Betsy had enough. One day, Betsy met Joshua near the river and ended their relationship. Oddly enough, the entity seemed to back off shortly after that. Although the spirit expressed a great distaste for John Bell and seemed determined to end his life. John Bell had been battling some sort of illness that caused twitching of his face and he had trouble swallowing for nearly a year and in time the symptoms continued to grow progressively worse. By 1820, John Bell was confined in his own home and the entity had its way with John. The spirit would remove his shoes when he would try to walk and slap John's face when he had seizures. The spirit's female voice could be heard all about the home and land calling and cursing, quote unquote, old Jack Bell as she would call him. On the morning of December 20th, 1820, John Bell passed after slipping into a coma the previous day. Right after his passing, the family noticed a small vial full of unknown liquid in the cabinet. John Bell Jr. gave some to the cat, which died immediately. The spirit taking notice of this began to laugh and speak proudly. I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him real good. During John Bell's funeral, which happened to be one of the biggest held in Robertson County, the spirit laughed out loud and began to sing while John was being buried. Legend goes, the singing didn't stop until the last person left the cemetery. After that, all paranormal activity seemed to cease. Some say it's because the evil spirit had done what it set out to do to begin with, kill John Bell. April 1821, the entity paid a visit to Lucy, John Bell's widow, informing her it would return in seven years' time. In 1828, as promised, it made its return. It seemed to gravitate toward John Bell Jr. and reportedly discussed life civilizations, religion, and spiritual awakening. It said the spirit made predictions of the Civil War and other known events. After three weeks, it left again and promised to return in a 107 years time. 
1935, the spirit returned yet again and paid a visit to the closest living descendant of John Bell, which was Dr. Charles Bailey Bell in Nashville. Dr. Bell wrote a book about the quote-unquote Bell Witch in 1934, and in 1945, he died. This evil, relentless spirit that's been to blame for torturing the Bell family and the community of Red River so many years ago is blamed even still today for strange goings-on near the Bell Farm and local area. Some say the faint sound of people and children can be heard near the area, and lights can be seen as though they're floating through the fields. Photography is a no-go here, as some pictures show orbs, mist, and even human-like beings who weren't present during the picture-taking process. Even today, the Bell Witch remains a mystery, even though a number of theories have developed through the years, including that the entity was the work of a nasty neighbor in the area known as Kate Batts. The story goes that Kate Batts believed John Bell had cheated her out of some money during a land purchase. Legend says that on her deathbed, she swore to haunt John Bell and his descendants. Even today, this story has had an impact on our culture and society. Movies such as The Blair Witch Project and An American Haunting were inspired by the story of the Bell Witch. According to a report from the Nashville, Tennessean, published October 27, 2015, a Mississippi psychic who was featured on A&E's series, Cursed, claims she knows the real tragedy behind the events of the Bell Witch. Sarah Delaney Pugh claims to have received this new twist on the old legend from Betsy Bell herself. Pugh says that the Bells themselves weren't cursed, but let alone the land they had purchased and inhabited was. And when the bells moved in, the curse was set in motion. Pew, along with local historian Tim Henson, tells this version of the story as follows. At first, strange sounds were reported in and around the bells' cabin in 1817. Over time, the situation intensified, and the bells reportedly talked to a spirit they later named Kate. The spirit would target Betsy Bell, pinching her, pulling, and tying her hair in knots and slapping her until she was bruised, according to Adams historian Tim Henson. The abuse continued until the year after Betsy Bell's father, John, died in 1820 at about age 70. The spirit took credit for his death, stating she poisoned him, Henson said. But Pugh says the spirit that tortured Betsy Bell and the rest of her family, even their slaves, on that pioneer farm nearly 200 years ago, wasn't responsible for John Bell's death. A slave killed John Bell, poisoning him because he could not protect Betsy, who was then 11, from another family member who was supposed sexually abusing her. Pew said. I had to give this girl a voice, she said. We had to bring the story to light. We couldn't keep sweeping it under the rug. Even the fifth great-grandson of John Bell, Bob Bell, says Pew's story makes sense.
That's going to wrap up today's show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Southern Spectre Podcast, and I hope you uh, join me next time for our next episode. If you'd like to follow me on social media, follow me on Instagram at the Southern Spectre. On Facebook at the Southern Spectre Podcast. Until next time, don't let Krampus get you. Merry Christmas, everybody.